0: Now I would invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16 as we continue in this series verse by verse through the book of Genesis called Faith of Our Fathers, looking at our patriarch here, the father of faith, Abram. Hear the word of the Lord as it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, And gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge you between you and me. But Abram and Sarai said... Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray together. Our God, we are so honored to be able to look into your word, to have it. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these truths into our ears and plant them deeply into our hearts. May we be changed as a result and come to know you, if we don't, as a result of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been tired of waiting and decided to take matters into your own hands? Tired of waiting and you desired to make things speed up so you took matters into your own hands? A few years ago, Russ Matthews was here, our missionary to Australia, and he was doing an event for our students talking about how film can lead to gospel conversations with friends. And so it was our desire to make this place feel like we were going to the movies. And we hung up, sold popcorn, we hung up posters in the hallway, the kids dressed up as their favorite movie character, and I remember we were getting ready for this event on Wednesday afternoon, hanging posters in the hallway, movie posters. And our intern and middle school director, Tyler Betts, was hanging them and doing a great job, but I didn't think he was doing it at quite the speed that I wanted him to. And so I offered to help, and he knowing, as many of you as I've shared before, that anything that I try to do with my hands ends up in a disaster. And he said, no, why don't you just let me take care of it? I said, no, 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 I'm going to help you. So I grabbed the coolest poster that I could find. It was this really cool Captain America poster, and went over to hang it on the wall. And still to this day, I don't know how this happened. But as I was hanging it, I managed to rip it in two different places. And I looked at Tyler, and he's just like, I can't believe you just did that. Trying to take matters into your own hands. If you would have just let me do it. Still to this day, if I have something big or I've messed up royally, Tyler will turn to me and say, you really Captain America, that thing. (laughs) Taking matters into your own hands hands. We get tired of waiting and we try to bring results in our own way, which often can result in disaster, which we will see in our text today. So God shows up in chapter 15 last week and calls Abram of all his fears. He calms him down, he says, listen, you are not going to lose your land and your inheritance to Eliezer, another man. You will bear a son. It's going to come from you. And he reiterates the promises that he has already made to Abram, and he tells him, listen, I am going to be with you and walk with you and protect you through this whole thing. I'm going to bring my promises about. And then he has a covenant-cutting ceremony with Abram where God alone passes through the pieces of the animal saying, this whole promise is on me. It's unilateral. I'm going to keep my end of the covenant. And if not, I'm going to be cut in half or I'm going to die because if you don't keep up your end. So Abram responds and says, this is such a sure thing, God. This covenant is so real, I will never, ever doubt you again. So we would think that would happen, but it doesn't. He's still waiting. His wife, Sarai, is still waiting. It can be difficult to wait, can't it? I was waiting in line the other day at hy V, and I had one item, and just as you do, I was spotting out which line was gonna get me through the quickest, and I found that line, and another guy got in line behind me, and then I heard a terrible phrase that you never wanna hear in that moment. Another cashier said, I can help someone over here. <laughs> and that guy behind me got out when I asked her, I had been waiting, and jumped in line with that new cashier. And I looked at him and thought, dude, you broke the code. You're supposed to offer it to me, and then we have this little exchange, and then I feel good about myself and say, no, you go ahead and take it. (laughs) Now I'm waiting, and I don't feel good about myself at all. But waiting can be difficult. Did you know that it had been 10 years since they had moved from the land of Ur to Canaan, All the while, Abram and Sarai waiting for this promise to be fulfilled, and in their waiting, their faith begins to wane. Verse 1 tells us that Sarai is still unable to have children, so there's the problem. Verse 1 also tells us she has a female Egyptian servant, which seems to be the solution, Sarai thinks that she can be a surrogate for me. We can bring about God's promises together the way that we want to. Maybe God just needs our help a little bit. And so Abram and Sarai take matters into their own hands and the results are disastrous And so we'll be looking at this morning just three results of taking matters into your own hands rather than waiting in faith. And the first one is relational strife with people is the result of taking matters into our own hands rather than waiting in faith. Hagar, who were introduced to as a servant from Egypt, who they most likely acquired as God blessed them when they were sent away from Egypt as a parting gift, Pharaoh gave Abram and Sarai all kinds of servants, people, and different possessions, and Hagar would have come with them at this time." So Sarai gives Hagar to Abram as his wife so that she can conceive and bear a child. Now, Hagar would be the second wife, so Sarai would still have prominence over her in the house and prominence in the marriage, but she she was a wife of Abram's nonetheless. Now, that sounds really strange to us, doesn't it? This polygamous relationship, but was very common in the ancient world. But just because something is common in the culture doesn't make it right. And although everyone's eyes said, this is fine, this is the way that you're supposed to do it, everybody does it this way, it wasn't right in the eyes of God. Because from the beginning, God has designed marriage to be between one man and one woman, and it never goes well in scripture when people decide to go outside of God's design and take multiple wives. I mean, think about that for a moment. Your marriage is hard, it's not going well, which was usually the case in all these areas, and you think, oh, the solution would be to take on another wife. Things would be so much better if I do that. We laugh and we say, that's so strange, but we do it so much in our culture as well. We said things aren't going so well in this marriage, but instead of keeping this wife and adding another, I'm going to divorce her and thinking that things will get better if I'm with another woman or I will have another wife in secret. We do a lot of the same things that they were doing, just they did it out in the open. But they were following the common practice of having a child as a solution to Sarai's barrenness. Now, we can think a little bit about Abram's process throughout this whole thing of taking matters into his own hands. Chapter 15, God tells him in a promise, he says, listen, you are going to have a child, and it's going to be your child. It's going to come from you. But God never reveals who the mother is, or specifically says that Sarai, his current wife, was going to be the mother. So can you kind of see Abram's thought process here? Well, God never specified who the mom would be, so maybe if I do this, this is how God's plan was supposed to come about all along. Hear this this morning. If you ever find yourself trying to convince yourself that something is God's plan, it probably isn't. If you find yourself trying to convince yourself that something is God's plan, it probably Isn't or most likely is not. Now, this particular section is a mirror of Genesis chapter 3. Moses wrote the whole book of Genesis, and so he intentionally makes this section sound like the fall of man in the garden. It was definitely the fall of Sarai and Abram here, as Kent Hughes points out that this choice that they made was going to have. Edenic-like results because of the poor decision that they made. The results were going to be more than they ever dared to imagine. And so if you look at this, in the same way that Eve offers the fruit to her husband, now Sarai is offering her slave girl Hagar to Abram. And it starts even before that that she says, "'The Lord has prevented me from having children.'" So she's blaming God that he is keeping something from me that I deserve, and so we're going to make this come about, and instead of Abram listening to God like Adam, he listens to his wife instead. Now, can you imagine the relational struggle that now was between Sarai and Hagar, As we would imagine, coming back from Egypt, she was one of her best servants, and perhaps they had some kind of relationship together that I would imagine was a good one. But now Hagar looks at Sarai with contempt, because in ancient cultures, a woman's worth, her significance was found in the fact that she could bear children. And so here's Hagar She's now pregnant, and she's strutting around the tent in front of Sarai, and she's saying things like, I was with your husband one time, and look what happened. How long have you been married to him? Now, can you imagine the hurt that would have come from that? You see, Sarai just saw her as a means to an end, and now this means to an end is talking to me in a hurtful way. Something needs to happen. We've got to get rid of her. So she goes to her husband and she comes and says to him, This is all your fault. And you can imagine uh, Abram sitting there and he's like, What? Uh, Come again? What was that? If you recall, this whole thing was your idea. I'm going to look at verse five and six one more time. It says, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. So here again, you got the garden coming into play. I gave my servant to you, embrace it. When you saw that she conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Behold, your servant is in your power, Abram said to Sarai. Do what you will. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Because she was just a means to an end, Abram says, do whatever you desire with her. You still have dominion over her. So Sarai goes crazy on Hagar, and she begins to treat her very harshly. Now, this word harshly is the same word that would be used of the taskmasters or the slave masters when Israel was in Egypt, the way that they treated the Israelites, So she is coming down hard on Hagar, so much so that Hagar leaves and she flees back to her homeland towards Egypt, and she's left alone in the wilderness. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord found her, that is Hagar, by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur, and he said, Hagar... Servant of Sarai, where have you come and where are you going? There again, God is pursuing her. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant. You shall bear a son." You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. That's what the name Ishmael means. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So Hagar flees to the desert, and she is found by God himself. And he tells her to return to Sarai and to submit to her. But he says, Hagar, I'm going to give you a promise. You are going to have a son. His name will be Ishmael. And every time you say his name, you'll be reminded that I heard you in your affliction. And this son is going to bear a great nation, it's gonna come from him. But it's gonna be a wild son that you're gonna have. He calls him a donkey of a man. And he says, his nation is going to be against his own nation. There's going to be continual strife within that nation. And that nation is going to be against every other nation as well. So we begin to see the unfolding of Abram's choice to take matters into his own hands. From Abram would not just come one nation, the chosen nation of God, Israel, from his future son, Isaac, but from him as well would also become the Arab descendants from Ishmael. So Abram would have two sons from different mothers, and they would always be at odds with each other throughout the entire Bible and still going into this day, the Arab nations going against Israel and strife within their own nation as well. Mohammed, the great prophet of Islam, actually traces his lineage back through the kings that were born of Ishmael all the way to Ishmael himself. And some two billion Muslims that live on the planet today, they hold Hagar in high esteem as Christianity would hold up Mary. Now, I'm not saying that all Arabs are Muslims, and I'm not saying that there is something that they can't be saved and come to know a great God. They are being saved in numbers. God is doing a great work among their nation but the consequences were much bigger than they ever thought by taking matters into their own hands. Now, this probably won't happen to you, that if you are tired of waiting, you decide to start doing things on your own, you're probably not going to result in a nation that will come from you and a religion that is hostile towards Christianity. That's probably not going to happen. But you will see relational strife as you use people people who are your friends to become your pawns to bring about God's timing in your way. If you desire a promotion of work that you've been passed up on, you say, God, this isn't the timing that I wanted it to be. You start using people to get ahead. You have relational strife with others. People who were close to you now become your enemies because you're convincing yourself that this is what God's plan is. So what is, how do we counteract this? How do we fight against this tendency, to thinking that, oh, it'll just all be okay if I just start doing things my own way? Humility is how we fight this. You know, I think when we set out and we think that we're going to start doing things in our own way, none of us ever thinks that we could ever do anything as bad as Abram, right? Right? Well, I would never do the things that he has done. Here's something that you need to understand this morning. The godliest person in this room is capable of the worst sin at any moment. So you and I must always be humble, knowing that we could just do the very same things that Abram did without even realizing it. Do you know what he just did? He just had the best experience of his life where God establishes again through ceremony the covenants that he received, and then here all of a sudden he's waning in his faith. He's struggling, and we need to humble and realize just how weak we are and rely on Jesus. You see, that's why like when you watch Dateline and things like that, they're always the, the friends and the family of someone that murdered someone. It's like, they just could never do that. They were such a nice person. They could never do anything like this. Newsflash, they did, and so could any of us. Not only, though, did it bring relational strife with people, but in Abram's life and in ours, if we know Jesus, it brings relational strife with God. We aren't given a ton of commentary on Abr- Abram's heart throughout all of this, but think about what he missed out on by taking matters into his own hands. He could have seen God work in such an amazing way. You know, Sarai was right. A lot of this was on Abram, this decision. He was the patriarch, he was the leader. Abram heard the voice of God, saw visions from God. His wife, Sarai, had never seen any of these things. But instead of listening to God's voice, he listened to his wife instead. Just as Adam in the garden should have led his wife and picked up that snake and chucked it away and said, No, God has told us what we're doing. We're going to follow his plan. Abram, too, should have said, Sarai. I know this is so hard for you. It's been 10 years. But God has promised us, and he's going to bring these things about in his timing if we trust and we wait on him. And if you are a head of a household, if you are a father, if you are a husband, if you're in a dating relationship and you're striving towards that end, this is our responsibility as men to lead families, to lead under us who are under our spheres to trust God and say, not say, I'm going to work this out, but instead say, as a family, we are going to trust God. Now, waiting, though, isn't the same thing as doing nothing. Waiting is actually working inwardly, even though outside it appear like you aren't doing much. Fabidi Wally says this about waiting. That's a great name, isn't it? Waiting is the supernatural ability to hope in God to deliver what human action cannot. So waiting is an opportunity to see God work in your life in ways that you never could. So let me tell you this morning, don't waste your waiting. Don't start freaking out and trying to make everything right and miss out on the opportunity that God has for you to draw near to him while you wait. This could have been an amazing opportunity for Abram to draw near to God and grow in a relationship with him, and we're left with the very same opportunity To trust God. That's why Isaiah 64, verse 4 tells us, From of old, no one has ever heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God besides you. Catch this. Who acts for those who wait for him. So while we wait, God is acting through our faith and bringing about his plans. Yes, Abram missed a great opportunity. But it doesn't say that at that point, God says, I'm done with you. I'm going on to somebody else that exercises better faith than you do. You see, Abraham is a great example, but he's not the hero. Should we follow his example? Yes. Is he a great man of God? Yes, but he's not the savior. He's not the hero. He's like us. And so God says, I'm the hero. That's why I alone walk through the pieces. That's why this whole thing's on me. When you don't have faith, I remain faithful to you in the waiting. So not only does it bring us relational strife with God, if we don't know Jesus and we try to take things into our, ha- our own hands, it results in relational separation from God. Now, the Apostle Paul, very skillfully in Galatians chapter 4, uses the story of Sarah and Hagar as an allegory. And he uses it to describe someone who pursues salvation to be right with God. Through their own works, taking matters into their own hands, and someone who believes instead in Jesus, that he did all the work on our behalf. So look at Galatians chapter 4 behind me, and we'll read this and unpack this a little bit together. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise." Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai. That's where the law was given, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above, the one that we're pursuing, and she is our mother, which comes from Sarah. So what is Paul saying? When it comes to being right with God, you have to choose the way of Sarah or the way of Hagar. If you choose and say that, I'm going to try to get to God by my own means, I'm going to be a good person, and I'm going to do enough, and hopefully when this is all done, my good will outweigh my bad. So essentially, like Adam and Sarah, you're choosing to to be your own savior, Placing all your faith in yourself to get you to God. And what you'll find is that you'll fall short of salvation. Instead, Paul is saying, you need to trust the promise. You see, Hagar, she brought out a son according to the flesh. It was plans of man. And it wasn't the promised child. But but the Isaac that came by promise was a supernatural event. Here's a woman in her 90s and gives birth who has never had a child before. God did it. That's what everybody said. God has done this thing. And some two, couple thousand years later, God again would bring about a supernatural birth. And his son, Jesus Christ, would be born into the world from the line of Abraham, and this son would live a perfect life and he would die and he would rise again for all those who tried to earn salvation through their own merit by taking matters into their own hands. Pastor just last week said that true faith or trust is putting all your weight on something. Putting all your trust on, putting all your weight on God. God. That's what true faith is. It's not about putting half of it on your own self and half of it on God, but all of it on God. It reminds me of a time that I went out back and I went to lay in a hammock that had been set up. And it was between two trees and it looked so wonderful. I'd had a, a long day, and it probably wasn't that long, but it sounds good. I had a day though where I desire to sleep in a hammock. And I went out there and laid down and I threw all my weight on this thing. And about five minutes in, boom! I'm flat on my back on the ground. And all the wind had come out of me, and I'm like, <sighs> right, trying to catch your breath. You've been there before. See, I put my faith in something that could never hold me up. And if you're putting your faith in anything else but Jesus, it will never hold you up. You must put all your weight on the Son, Jesus Christ. But his story doesn't end there with Hagar. It doesn't end with her running out into the desert and being told that she's gonna have a son. Let's see how this story ends in verse 13 and 14. So she called on the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Hagar said, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahoroi. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. So, here is this young servant girl that was a means to an end, that was no longer needed and was cast out into the wilderness to make her own way. Although she was a means to an end to Abram and Sarai, God saw her so much more than that. He meant so much to her, and he shows up to her and says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to remind you every time you say his name that I see you in your affliction. And then you know what happens? Hagar gives God a name. This is the only time it's ever recorded in Scripture where someone, a human, gives a name to God. She said, you are a God of seeing." Could it be that the one who I saw sees me? And what is she saying? She says, God has seen everything that's happened in my life. He's aware of it. I'm not alone. He's seen my affliction. And you may be here this morning and you feel like a means to an end. Mistreated. Broken. But God doesn't see you that way. He sees you. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. So much to send his son Jesus for you. And so if you know him, once you look up and see this one that already sees you, turn your face to him and believe in him. Believe that he loves you, that he's brought about these things for your good and he cares for you greatly. And if you don't know him, would you place your trust in him today? God, our Father, we are thankful that you are the covenant-keeping God. You keep your promises, and as we've said throughout this series, we aren't saved or we aren't rescued by you, by making promises to you, but by, by believing the promises you've made to us. And just as Hagar was cast out into the wilderness, so was Jesus Christ on the cross. He was abandoned by the Father so that all who could believe in him would never be abandoned, but would have total assurance, total comfort, total uh, love that comes from God by faith alone. And so God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the hope that all who come to you, you will never cast out. So I pray for the Christian that's here this morning and they're waiting. God, would you help them to keep on waiting, to not waste it, but to see it as a divine opportunity to draw closer to you and to trust your plan. God, I pray for the one here that does feel like the outcast that's been mistreated May they take comfort in the God who sees them. And with the one that doesn't know you, place their faith in you today. Put all their weight and their trust on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, Amen.